Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, I'm welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. You guys are losers. This episode, <laughs> this is episode one thirty six. Busted that one out early. <laughs> I, I pulled a couple of. It was another trailer week. It, it was, was another week where the biggest news of the week you know, almost was. There's a new trailer. Mm. The uh, Spider-Man Homecoming trailer uh, debuted on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or Johnny Douchebag. <laughs> One of those fucking shows that's uh, on when I'm drunk and can't remember right. uh, after 11.30 or something like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the American version debuted there. Uh, there was also an international trailer that came out. And if you've only seen one of them, definitely go for the... Well, I don't know. It's I like the international better. I do, too. The, the, the uh, American one... Right, the differences between the two. We're going to spoil this, these trailers if for some reason. And we're we're also going to embed them in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so you can pause and go to crisisoninfinitemidlives.com and go take a look at both of them. The American one appears to have been cut together by individuals who believe that you have to start with a fight sequence. Otherwise, the, the Americans are going to fall asleep and not be able to pay attention. Whereas the international one opens with a very Bendis-y talking heads. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, no. The the international one opens with the fucking clip from Civil War. The, Does it? The I thought, it, I thought it was. Um, I thought it was. They were in the back of the limo. It's uh, then it cuts to that. Okay. So yeah, right. we we get the introduction to, to to demonstrate to people who aren't Americans, you know, because that's that's the only people who've seen any of the Marvel right. uh, Marvel Studios movies is Americans. But <laughs> you know, if you're in France and go ha ha American entertainment, but decide hey Spider Man. <laughs> no, we're going to put Spider-Man up with Jerry Lewis or something. Then, uh, yes, it demonstrates, oh, okay, Spider-Man knows uh, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> and they're back in the limo. Somebody is apparently buying heroin from somebody else. I'm guessing, <laughs> if I'm French, I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at, because it, it, the trailer was in it'll English. Be, it'll be subtitled. It's possible. The trailer was not. So Well, because we watched it here in English, which we speak, well, th- in that, theory. That's <laughs> poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably. I'm trying to imagine if you're a French person who only has the vaguest idea of Marvel movies. You're probably and if, not going to go watch the movie. Well, and you've decided that Spider-Man is the hill you're going to die on, <laughs> and you're watching the trailer. It's like, oh, it appears that Spider-Man is Captain America because he steals the shield. And then, okay, it appears Robert Downey Jr. is buying heroin from Spider-Man. Ah, <laughs> uh, fell off the wagon. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, what I found with the American one is it really went front and center with Peter Parker as it puts the love story. I don't know why all the Mm. Spider-Man movies have tried to put the love story front and center because he's a teenager with hormones. Yeah, and I get that, except this is the first time somebody under about 29 has played Spider-Man. Yeah, in the uh, press tour he's doing for this trailer right now, he's the tender age of 20. (laughs) Yeah, and I read someplace he actually enrolled in high school for like three days. Oh, God. Having survived American high school, that's really about as long as you should try it. <laughs> really, you've, you've experienced the dizzying highs and the terrifying lows, <laughs> and you can just punch out at that yeah, point. Yeah, just, just homeschool the rest of that shit. Yeah, it's, it's not going to get any better <laughs> no. after that. At, at least here, it seems like he's kind of a, a, a loser at dating, because that's where we pulled that sound clip. He, he's leering at, I guess it's uh, Liz Allen. Sure. and uh, <laughs> He and... Uh, I, I guess it's gunk. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. He's yeah. talking with a buddy about this girl. He's like, I guess we should stop staring. And this girl says, too late. You guys are losers. So, <laughs> and they found somebody with my voice, which is creepy. That does sound a little bit like you. It's, let's try it. You guys are losers. 
You guys are losers. Yeah, it's pretty close. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but you know who I sound like in Marvel? You're an imbecile. <laughs> stop, st- stop hitting yourself. Why are you hitting yourself? I'm, st- <laughs> I'm sticking to that. I probably sound more like... I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hopefully the director actually remembers, and it seems like there might be a sense of it here, although there was enough stuff in the... See, once again, that's why I don't want to talk long about the trailer. We've done a few episodes where we try to dissect trailers and figure out what's going on. You can't fucking do it. No, no. Um, I was disappointed that we didn't get a hint of uh, Tony Stark walking out of, say, Aunt May's bathroom after <laughs> what was probably a good 30 seconds of lovemaking or whatever it is that they do. <laughs> yeah, what's up, son? <laughs> I'll be disappointed, actually. I don't see that. I'll be disappointed if Tony Stark doesn't break off a piece of Marissa Tomei on May. I will say this about the trailer. One thing I noticed, and I don't know if it was in both of them, but definitely in one of them, there was a heavy synth component when they weren't playing the the end of the world doom music for the villains, which gave the quality of the high school portions of the trailer a John Hughes like effect. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know which song it is. Uh, I guess I could look it up, but I'm probably not gonna. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely you know, and they've said they're gonna try for sort of a high school John Hughes feel. Which makes a certain amount of sense if you're going to go for the old Lee Ditko feel. Yeah. Because that was a huge part of it for the first couple of years. That said, I already own The Breakfast Club. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm trying to picture Brian from The Breakfast Club in red and blue spandex. That's, I'm not beating my way to the, I'm not pre ordering tickets for that. I, I can sort of picture Flash Thompson threatening to tape everybody's butts together. <laughs> I, I, I can see that. <laughs> see the outline of duct tape under Spider-Man's fucking underoos? Yeah. That'd be different. I just hope that the director remembers, because none of the other directors, Sam Raimi, uh, what was his name, Webb? James Jim, Webb yeah. or something like that. Uh, I hope they were, Peter Parker doesn't get the girl. No. He never gets the girl. Sometimes it seems like he gets the girl. Then the girl gets thrown off the George Washington Bridge, or Satan gets involved. <laughs> it's something happens. Yeah. It's, so that yeah. darn Parker luck. Yeah, it's, and that's always kind of bothered me about both the reboots. Like, this, this is the second fucking reboot of Spider Man since this website started in 2011. Yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> That's not right. But it's both of the previous directors made it this epic love story of, oh, we're just doomed to not be able to. No, Peter Parker has shit luck. Mm. He's not supposed to get the girl. No. Even now, he's a fucking millionaire. <laughs> does not get the girl. No, does not get the girl. And so I, I hope they remember that. But then again, uh, the director of Spider Man Homecoming is John Watts who is best known for something called Cop Car and uh, a short film called Jewish Santa is Coming. And <laughs> the writer is uh, the guy who played Sweets on Bones okay. and was one of the geeks on Freaks and Geeks. And uh, for writing, uh, is best known for the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Okay. So maybe we ought to temper our expectations accordingly. I mean, you know, so Sweets spent some time on, on Freaks and Geeks, so he was around people who could be funny. And wrote and directed and were successful. You guys are losers. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. You never know. Some of these, it, it, it is the pattern now. You get some indie director who's done one or two things with promise. And I don't know what Cop Car is. I know it's got Kevin Bacon in it. All I know is it sounds like they were able to get this kid to direct for a hot meal. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, after all the Sony leaks, they really <laughs> keep a low profile on everything. It's like, no, this is a cash deal. We're not putting anything on the computer. I can put boiling water on my ramen tonight. <laughs> Sweet Christmas. <laughs> That's the other thing. <laughs> I know. That's I know. the other thing. <laughs> so back to the actual trailer <laughs> itself. I'll say this about the trailer. It's made me more excited about Spider-Man. The, the movie I've been looking most forward to, and honestly still am, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Absolutely. Uh, and if you told me 15 years ago that, uh, oh yeah, the, the thing with the raccoon <laughs> and the talking plant, you, that's going to be higher on your list than a Spider-Man movie. And the wrestler. Yeah, yeah <laughs> WWE guy. <laughs> yeah, if you told me Spider-Man would be, you know, oh, it would take a decent-looking trailer that frankly has Batman in it to start to get you excited about, <laughs> about a Spider-Man movie, I wouldn't have believed you, but the the problem is there's just been so fucking much Spider-Man. And even with the cameo in Civil War, which was pitch perfect and mm. spot on, it's hard to get ramped up of, I'm going to see Spider-Man. I saw Spider-Man two years ago. Yeah. It, it was okay. <laughs> well, I, th- just the little things they've done in the intervening time since the, the Andrew Garfield version and the cameo in the Avengers movie, it, that they took the technology that they applied to Deadpool where they, they gave the mask um, actual like animation so that the eyes could express. Well, they did that <laughs> in, in Civil War also. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. That, just that little difference. It definitely helps, and it's been a thing they've been doing in the comics at least since the 90s, Yeah, and it's something that has grown on me. The first time I saw it, I'm like, you assholes, this is a, <laughs> it's a fucking mask. It's, the mask does not change. The mask is, the, the ma- this is probably a ski mask that he modified with sunglasses. Peter Parker has no monies. No monies. Give Peter Parker monies. <laughs> To get mask. Yeah, but the longer he wears the mask, it takes on his spirit. And then, it's, no, the mask stays. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't have a sound clip that <laughs> even applies to that. <laughs> but it, it's kind of grown on me because, and particularly in the comics, because in the comics you should have that kind of latitude. It's yeah. It's a a heightened, not particularly realistic medium where. Yeah, you're operating at a deficiency of no sound and no motion, so right. you use whatever tools are available to have the impact that you need to. Because it's grown on me, yeah, I, I kind of like it in what I've seen in Civil War and in the trailer. Yeah. The the thing I like most in the trailer, which boggles my mind because I thought it was stupid when I was a kid, was we've got the underarm webs. Yeah. Now, the underarm webs apparently have a functional component here, whereas Steve Ditko either just thought they were cool or he was paid by the pen stroke. (laughs) We can't put a cape on this. All right, we'll do something cape-like. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, when I was a kid, I thought they were stupid because when I was a young kid, I was getting Amazing Spider-Man and Marvel Tales at the same time, and I wasn't old enough and sophisticated enough to really understand that with Marvel Tales, we were looking at books that were 10 or 15 years older, right? because it, everything was sort of in the Ramita style anyway, so visually there wasn't anything to really... It's just the older ones. He had the underarm webs. And I'm like, that's stupid. They don't do anything. And maybe this is just God answering my prayers of, <laughs> okay, fine, now they do something. All right, he jumps over the fucking helicopter. Are you happy now? <laughs> 
like god i'm i'm never happy <laughs> okay um i'm lost uh i'm angry and i'm armed i just needed to break the puff of my cigarette <laughs> that's, that's okay <laughs> so uh, anything else jump uh, we did see some elements from Bendis's Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man here. There's clearly uh, a character who I don't know the name, but he's clearly Gonky. He, Gon- yeah. he looks like what kind of parents would name their kid. That? <laughs> I've never known how to pronounce it. If he is, then maybe by the end of this movie, we'll know how to pronounce it. Uh, one would hope. One would hope. <laughs> I watch a lot of movies blacked out. You can't count. <laughs> I I like I like what I've seen of Michael Keaton so far in this this version of the vulture because the vulture was always one of those ones you had to laugh at it it's a fragile old man you'd worry that if he brushes against a building while flying he'll break a hip <laughs> behold my uh, might my hip my hip <laughs> yeah i mean you're not flying away with bags of money you got to take some calcium it's just <laughs> he's flying osteoporosis that's <laughs> That's a shit power. But what the hell? What's your superpower? He shatters if you look at him funny. Yeah, <laughs> and they've tried younger versions of uh, of the Vulture uh, with varying degrees of success. They certainly make more sense than you know, bald, hook-nosed Adrian Tombs. Who, Just yeah. the name. Yeah. It, it suggests somebody who got beat up a lot as a child and then decided to get a super suit. Oh, totally. <laughs> and just painted green. Yeah. Yeah, It's and this is not my observation but it's sort of dead on if you think about it part of what looks cool about the costume is it, it really is kind of a mix of the old school green goblin glider mm. uh, and including the the helmet yes so it, it looks very green goblin-esque almost from the comics so it, it mixes it it mixes a genuinely menacing supervillain with uh, the vulture <laughs> with the splintered hip yeah the splintered hip of doom <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, just to see Michael Keaton back in some kind of costume, you know, Jesus Christ, he was Batman for God's sake. He was the first, uh, I don't want to discount Christopher Reeve, but he was the first modern, honest to God, live action superhero that really sort of everything came from. Yeah. Yeah, you can make the argument for Christopher Reeve and Superman, but 1978 to 1989, you got nothing. Come on, uh, come on, Howard the Duck. <laughs> You got nothing. You got Spider-Man on TV throwing uh, 100, 100 weight cables out of his wrist. <laughs> Scrambling up the side of a building, just scraping his hands, praying the cables that are holding them up don't break. Captain America on a motorcycle. And you've, you've got Lou Ferrigno. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. You know, if, if that's your level, if that's your, if Lou Ferrigno is your victory condition, you have failed in a catastrophic way. <laughs> Uh, Lou Ferrigno's victory condition. That's possible to mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's... And when it comes to having Gonke there, or what, whatever his, his name is, I'll never be able to pronounce it. I'm, I'm on the... It worked in Ultimate Spider-Man, and I'm, I'm kind of on the fence because Peter Parker has always been a loner, but I would rather have somebody that he can actually talk to than go with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 1 gimmick of, well, MJ, I'm friends with Spider-Man, and he told me to tell you so we could try to get some sort of faked internal monologue. I certainly would like it better than voiceover, having him actually have somebody to talk to. Yeah. So I'm I'm fine with mixing metaphors that way. We'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, part of, part of the, I guess, charm of the old... Loner Parker is, you know, he had all this time to tinker and create gadgets for his suit. True. And now they're just sort of dropping into his lap via... Tony Stark. Via Tony Stark. 
Yeah, I'm optimistic about it. Certainly at this point, if you need to take from a modern comic, like a today comic, I'd rather you lift from Ultimate Spider-Man or just Spider-Man now than Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. We're going to talk about an Amazing Spider-Man issue during this show. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking clones. Goddamn fucking clones. I knew it. Clones. You guys are losers. To be clones. (laughs) Sorry, I jumped on you there. That's okay. Uh, Yeah, certainly at this point, if you're looking for a street-level Spider-Man who's not not a millionaire with a fucking light cycle. I did get the impression that we're not going to see that much of Tony Stark in the movie based on the trailer. It was more just sort of like, here's your stuff. Um, Stay in your room. Yeah, (laughs) but no, there was an interim scene where he was at Avengers headquarters. Whether one leads into the other, I don't know. There was the scene of Spider-Man swinging with Iron Man that that closed it out with Iron Man going next to him. That's right. Uh, The thing that made me most concerned was both the international and the American trailer just about closed with the big Christ-like crucified Spider-Man trying to hold webs together in a Jesus pose that frankly was only (laughs) slightly, slightly less obvious than when he was passed over the the people on the subway in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Uh, He's a kid from Queens with a wise mouth having fun being a superhero. Keep the Jesus shit for Superman. (laughs) And frankly, when they did the Jesus shit for Superman, uh, Brian Singer in Superman Returns, there was no Superman Returns 2. Superman Returns-ish, Returns again. (laughs) Superman re-returns, Superman reruns. Superman (laughs) re-gifts. Also a good title. (laughs) Yeah, this does make me, it makes me more excited for Spider-Man than I was. Yes. Uh, it's going to be hard to get around the fact that, yeah, this is, uh, Jesus, in 15 years, this is our third Spider-Man. We're going back. At least it doesn't look like we're going to see Uncle Ben die again. Yeah, that's that's the one bonus to this. Is My understanding is it's not an origin story. At this point, with so many reboots, you all should know, even if you don't read comic books. <laughs> yes, and it's going to be just in time, apparently, for Uncle Ben to come back. The clone conspiracy. Oh, God. Son of a bitch. <laughs> we don't know that he's going to come back. We, we don't know. For uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, try to remember to embed both versions of the Spider-Man trailer in our show notes. Sure. Uh, depending on where you find this show, uh, we have different notes in different places. Uh, we're talking the complete notes at crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Yes. Anything else about the Spider-Man trailer? Uh, again, it was not a huge week for comics news, so we just figured, yeah, we'll talk about three, four comic books. Uh, you know, the back-to-basics kind of thing that the we've been basics. doing now and again. Yes. No, I, I, I think we've, we've covered it. It was a fa- fairly short trailer, so. Well. <laughs> As trailers go. Yeah, and then, and then there was uh, Tony Stark's advice to where we fit in between giant comics media and one-person blogs. There's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. <laughs> it's very tiny. Very tiny. <laughs> tiny. Not many people go there. <laughs> Not on many maps. It's because we're losers. <laughs> you guys are losers. Uh, yeah, the the only other thing that struck out of me from comics media ish news was uh, uh, apparently uh, Gypsy is joining. Uh, from, yes, from Justice League Depro- Detroit. Yes, is joining Flash. So, so... it makes about two thirds of Justice League Detroit <laughs> now actively in the Flash. And um, I think Ralph Dibney was referred to in the Flash pilot, and then never 
ever mentioned again. So at this point, since Aquaman is off limits because of the movie and Martian Manhunter is over in Supergirl's show, which were the two that actually led Justice League Detroit. Oh uh, yeah, Aquaman and uh, John Jones. Yeah, the, they're only missing. I think yeah, Ralph Dibney and who else? Uh, Steel is on Legends of Tomorrow. They've got vibe. They'll have Gypsy. Yeah. If they continue to go with the name, because apparently it is um, a derogatory term for the Romani people. Thing I learned on the internet today. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> so yeah, we've. Somehow Jeff Johns got what he's always wanted. <laughs> Respect for Justice League Detroit. Somehow. I don't know why anybody would want that. <laughs> there are people with weird fetishes all over the internet. Some people want to see bugs get stepped on. Some people want to see somebody... <laughs> Fart into a cake. Yeah. And some and some people want Justice League Detroit. <laughs> yeah. I place them all on an equal level. <laughs> I place them. There's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. <laughs> With the cake farters. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you're not familiar, uh, Gypsy can cast illusions that show you your greatest fear. My greatest fear is Justice League Detroit. So. <laughs> She's already working. I think we're in good shape on that front. <laughs> yeah, or conceal herself. It's either illusions that, that scare the shit out of you or, or help her conceal herself. The, the concealing uh, that's been working so far, stick with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't have much else to say about no, that. No, no, it's just the last time I think Vibe and Gypsy got together, then, then we had D- Damonites, and I don't want to go down that road. No, we had... For $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. <laughs> that too. Yes. All right. Do you want to talk about... A little bit of... Yes, words. Berkshire Brewing Company. Steel Rail <laughs> Extra Pale Ale. <laughs> It's good it's for the extra. It's good for what ails you. Get see oh, what I did there. See why oh, I'd be a good pitchman, Berkshire Brewing. Oh, Sponsor the show. Send me some free beer. You guys are clearly losers. I need it. <laughs> Wait, you guys are losers. There we go. <laughs> All right, which which book do you want to talk about first? I think we have no choice but to start with the clone conspiracy. Ooh, okay. And then and then I think we should talk about the Wonder Woman Bionic Woman book. Uh, Jesus, you, you got to go through hell before you get to heaven. Exactly, okay. exactly. We're gonna we're gonna end with Doctor Afra. <laughs> to, to quote a wise man, <laughs> Steve Miller. Wait, I can't even pretend. <laughs> it's Miller time. <laughs> I'd like to quote Steve Miller. Steve Miller. Once upon a time, never mind. I, <laughs> Jesus, I got nothing there. <laughs> All right, Spider Man: The Clone Conspiracy, number three, written by Dan Slott, art by Jim Chung. Uh, my first note on this is: Well, we all saw this shit coming, now, didn't we? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, by the way, we're going to spoil all the books that we talk about today, as usual, so you know, you know what to do. You can press pause and go to Comixology or... Or your or local comic book store. Even better, your local comic book store. Uh, although, frankly, uh, these first couple books, don't do it. No. Don't do it. No. <laughs> uh, God, even this cover's a mess. Uh, <laughs> who did the cover? I didn't even notice. You've uh... The cover is Gabrielle Delato. Uh, see, I, I really like her, but you're right. It's a... Uh... It's muddy. Yeah, and nor- blurry. Normally, she's uh, got a little more detail on there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, not not her best work. I I think I think I first noticed her stuff. I think she did the covers on uh, Secret War, the okay. original Secret War that Bendis wrote. That uh, where they all gang together and uh, I don't even remember at this point. But they they went to um, Bennigan's and they they got nachos <laughs> <laughs> secretly. Uh huh. Okay. 
All right. Do you want to start with this? I mean, it's it is every bad feeling I had coming into Clone Conspiracy of oh shit, they're going to do this and they're going to do this and they're going to do this. They have really just sort of fallen into place every step of the way. Yeah, pretty much. One thing I found interesting was, you know, they're they're fighting these clones, and yet nobody's spider sense is going off. So what's going on there that nobody's spidey sense is tingling? Because that would indicate that these are actually not a threat. Uh, it's there could be some science behind it. It could be as simple as the particular, as far as the clones are concerned, they're not there to actually attack. And if it's not a physical threat, spider sense won't go off. I, I honestly, I am not sure how that is working in this. It's there's weird science all the way through this. <laughs> it makes as much sense as it has to. I can't believe I referenced weird science and <laughs> story about creating people from thin air, but that's why this goes wrong. And they all turn into zombies. They forgot to hook up the doll. They they forgot to hook up the doll. They forgot to put the <laughs> bra on there. <laughs> all right. So as we said before, we're going to be spoiling the shit out of this. Uh, big reveal: the person wearing the jackal mask is not actually Miles Warren. It's Ben Riley. Right. We all knew we were going to see Ben Riley. You put clone in the fucking story title, we're going to see goddamn Scarlet Spider slash Ben Riley again. Yes. I know he melted at some point during the clone saga. I don't care. Someone didn't <laughs> salt the earth. Uh, they <laughs> didn't set fire to the goo that he collapsed into. Sounds like it wouldn't have mattered anyway. They're just bringing back people. They got like a hair follicle. It's a, <laughs> it's a comic book. Nobody dies in comic books. Yeah, they're on the verge of Uncle Ben. So it's it, I absolutely. Oh, all right, they're going to do Ben Riley again. I survived him in the nineties. I'll survive him again. The particular role that he's taken in this. All right, that was surprising. But ultimately, the only interesting thing that it opens up is okay. Well, he's surrounded by clones of Miles Warren. Is one of them the real Miles Warren? If not, where is the real Miles Warren? Somebody had to bring Ben Riley back. It mm. wasn't Jesus, was it? It's, <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> it's a Christmas yeah. miracle. Uh, no, it's not a miracle. <laughs> it's, it's a... Damn it. For $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. I've, I've got to get a bigger monitor so you need I can fire monitor. these things. All right, so... I mean, it's look, Dan Slott has taken Peter's cry of no one dies and applied it to Ben Riley as viewed through sort of a business person's lens of making it a profit center with a dash of super villainry and puts the most obvious bait in the world in front of Peter that anybody could think of. I mean, to the point where, where people saw the, uh, the, saw the original promos that were hinting toward, toward Cologne conspiracy. It's like, Oh shit, they're going to bring back fucking uncle Ben. Yeah. And of course, yep, that's, uh, that's the bait they put in front of them. It's so obvious. Uh, I, I didn't think it was particularly, uh, surprising, although a little bit more surprising when Mark Wade did it in the JLA story, Tower of Babel, 12 or 15 years ago when he had Ross al Ghul offer to put Bruce Wayne's parents into the Lazarus pit. Yeah. So, and Batman said, no, I've got to believe Spider-Man's going to say no. Well, I mean, that's what they're setting this up for. Every single world that um, Kane has gone to and Gwen Stacy from Earth 65 or whatever <laughs> has gone to, Peter has ended up partnering with Miles Warren and and becoming, you know, on their side, presumably because he could not resist the opportunity to bring Uncle Ben back. 
And then the world becomes overrun with the carrion virus zombies and everything goes to shit. So now Peter knows because he's been wondering why Gwen didn't, uh, or this particular Gwen, which is Spider Gwen, didn't um, reveal herself and her plan to him earlier. And he feels very left out. And then she tells him, well, it's because you always end up siding with Warren. Yeah, it's, that's part of why this miniseries isn't working for me. And it's not working for me for a bunch of reasons. And that's one of them. Up until now, Spider-Man has not really been the biggest part of his own it's everybody story. But Spider-Man. <laughs> exactly. And frankly, we've been in this multiverse mode uh, for Spider-Man stories for a while now. Yes. And didn't we take care of the multiverse with Secret Wars? Aren't we not calling it the 616 these days? Isn't it just, you know, there's the Marvel Universe? Is that except for... Fucking Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure Dan Slott's allowed to do whatever he wants. I I suppose so, <laughs> but it's it's sort of glaring. And Dan Slott, he's been in this operating mode of more Spider-People equals better for a very long time right now. Yeah. You know, we went from Spider-Island to Spider-Verse. I mean, in this issue, we got Spider-Man and Ben Riley and Kane and Spider-Gwen. I'm getting spidered the fuck out. It it sort of ceases to make it a special superpower if everybody has that power. Yeah, and particularly if you're trying to make Miles Morales more front and center, which Bendis clearly is with his central role in Civil War Two. Yes. It sort of diminishes, okay, yep, this is really our new teenage Spider-Man for people who want those kind of stories, and that series has been working for me on that basis. It's like, fine, if I want more classic Spider-Man. Ironically, I have to go to the new Spider-Man, but it, it really diminishes the focus when oh and i'm also getting web warriors in my polls like i and i get it i read it sometimes but i i i, I only have so much taste for spider ham <laughs> i mean i just i do it's the it's a reality of it um the other couple of things that are in here i peter seems surprised when um the guy who is the prowler um, doesn't rat them out. Does he not remember that they work together and that he works for him? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, he remembered, except he was killed. He's back as a oh, clone. Okay. So uh, at least on paper, he's under Jackal's thrall. Okay. Uh, but that's also part of the problem. If we're supposed to believe that this pill that all these clones have to take somehow makes them more malleable, then it doesn't make sense that Prowler would do that would allow Peter and Gwen to escape. But if everybody is still them at heart, I don't believe some of these characters would act that way. I don't believe Captain Stacy would act as a captain of goons for the Jackal. No. It just doesn't seem like a thing that, that he would it, do. It requires a lot of people acting out of character. Yeah. And, and the reality is Ben Riley is Peter Parker. Right. He's yes. a direct clone with Peter's memory. You know, the old great power and great responsibility thing. I don't believe he would do this. Well, this also feels like, all right, how many people have died and come back because this hero cop that's the police chief that turns out to also be one of these returned pod people. It, that's actually what I want to say. They're behaving like pod people. Oh, yeah. We've, <laughs> we've got a mix of old school uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the potential for Night of the Living Dead here. So if you're going to go to the well, <laughs> those are not terrible stories to you know, riff on. Right. 
I, I suppose at the end of the day, this is supposed to teach Peter, yes, you can have the rallying cry of, you know, nobody dies, but you got to be realistic about it. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, but it's just going back to Ben Riley for a second. I can believe a resurrected clone of Peter Parker would say, wow, there is technology that can resurrect the dead. This should be available to people. I don't believe he'd be making deals with criminals and extorting people. Yeah. <laughs> and that does, that's, that's not. Spider-Man, and he's fucking Spider-Man. Well, and also, I'm, I'm having some difficulty that Wilson Fisk um, feel, if he feels that strongly that Vanessa's grave has been violated, that he's not going to take care of this shit himself. I, I will say that was the best scene in the book for me, where Fisk tries his old, you know, oh, you will owe me a favor. Yeah. And the Peter Parker, the real Peter Parker, says, no, if I'm going to do this, it's because you want it done, which means if I'm going to do your goddamn dirty work, you owe me a favor. Right. And that's that's a level of standing up to the kingpin, you know, on that that's, whole Godfather, you'll uh, owe me a favor level. Our you little Peter's seen, growing up. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen that for a while. So that was a good moment. But still, I, I have difficulty believing that kingpin wouldn't try to find some other way to take care of this himself. Well, kingpin on paper has Lady Bullseye. He, he's got... He's got operatives. People. He's got resources. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need Spider-Man, except Spider-Man's name is uh, the above book. the fold <laughs> at the top of the book. But that's why it also doesn't work for me. It, it, it's Spider-Man's book. You have this weird interlude where Kingpin shows up deus ex, ex machina with this folder. <laughs> right. So, yeah, he's very much been an observer up until now. Yeah. So it's, it hasn't even really felt like a Spider-Man story. I, I'm... I'm having trouble believing we got the presence of not one, but two Gwen Stacy's not apparently having any effect on Peter at all. Now this is the Peter. His marriage was erased by Mephisto. Yep. Uh, his history was rewritten by secret wars just like 10 or 12 years ago. Just the idea of Gwen who was still dead being unfaithful to him in sins past almost drove him bullshit. And that's why he was married to yeah. Mary Jack. I can't believe seeing, you know, oh my God, it's my girlfriend who I failed. It's one of my ultimate... Fi- wouldn't have some obvious effect beyond, oh, I know you come visit because I talked to Spider-Woman. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it seems a little odd, uh, but, you know, I guess Gwen being resurrected was part of the main point of Jerry Conway's original clone saga, so you got to do something else, so I guess it's got to be Uncle Ben. And I'm sorry, weren't we all pissed off when Spider-Man chucked everything to bring Aunt May back from the dead? Yes. In one more day? Yes. Does Dan Slott think we'll accept something very similar, a deal with a scientific devil versus a mystical devil just because it's his uncle and there's science and shit? I, I think that this Peter won't take the bait. I, I think the fact that Gwen has told him ahead of time that he's destined to side with Miles is going gonna, is gonna to put the kibosh on it. Maybe. I mean, I got to believe <laughs> you can't bring Uncle Ben back. You can't do it. Uh, then again, I would have said five years ago, it's like, you can't have 56 spider people going around the Marvel Universe. That's stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> Spider-Ham? Really? He's the co-star of a book? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Additionally, somehow, uh, Kane has been walking around being um, carrying the the genes that will cure the carrion virus, and nobody realized until this book. See, that was another moment I kind (laughs) of liked, that he's such a fucking meathead. He has no idea that science might make use of him. He's just like, oh, I've got it, but don't worry. Nobody can get it from me. I'm fine. (laughs) I did like that moment. (laughs) You fucking dope. Come over here. We need some blood. I kind of like that. 
but then they're promptly kidnapped. So, well, yeah, <laughs> because they can't be that easy. Yeah. So yeah, we're slogging through this, but it's certainly not a recommended book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just looking at my notes here, and whenever I see any of these new spider toys that he has, like he's got the spider light cycle or whatever. The yeah, fuck it looks it is. like something out of Tron. Yeah. All I can think is, wasn't the original Spider-Mobile from back in the 70s originally meant to be an inside joke about giving superheroes useless fucking accessories yeah. to sell toys? It's like it's like the Tron light cycle and Kaneda's motorcycle had a baby. Yeah, both are absolutely <laughs> iconic designs, useless to a guy who swings from fucking buildings. Exactly. It was actually, I did look it up, and Jerry Conway does say that Stan Lee made some kind of deal with Mego or somebody to sell toys and uh he ordered jerry conway to give spider-man a car <laughs> that's the only reason the spider-mobile showed up it's conway supposedly told stan that that's stupid he's like i don't care how you do it it doesn't matter just make sure he's got a car <laughs> so it's like all right fine he and the human torch make this stupid fucking dune buggy for the streets of new york city that promptly gets thrown into the fucking east river <laughs> I, I can't stop thinking about that. no what's what are you trying to sell fucking toys he's spider-man for christ's sake He's trying to sell fucking toys. You know, that, and that's fine for the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. I'll grind my teeth and watch that Spider-Man. It's because, of course, you're trying to sell toys. You're a cartoon, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I don't, I don't need it in the Amazing Spider-Man, for Christ's sake. I mean, How do you really feel? It's, it's just, it's not working for me. None of this is working for me. Nobody really thinks that Uncle Ben's coming back. You know, nobody thinks there's going to be a fucking zombie apocalypse in the Marvel Universe. We did that through like a million Robert Kirkman and Fred Van Lente stories, and they finally petered out. We're Marvel zombied out. Yes. For, at least for the time being. And ultimately, we got too many characters that are just acting out of character. And this thing has too many moving parts, too many universes, too many fucking spider people, clones of various people, so you don't know who is who. And it's... The best I could say is, I don't know, maybe Slot's trying to make some kind of comment on addiction, saying, okay, once you're addicted to this substance, then you will act out of character. You won't act the way you will just to be able to get your clone no melty pills. or Clone your, no melty. <laughs> yeah, whatever the fuck you want to, you know, if it's an opiate analogy, okay, fine, I kind of get people acting differently. But yeah, it's the, the climax on this is doomed because Peter Parker knows with great power comes great responsibility. And part of responsibility is not turning tragedy into a fucking poor for-profit opportunity. Right. So. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. So how many more issues are we going to have to endure of this? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how long Clone Conspiracy <laughs> is. It's a, I really, at this point, I, I'd really like to ease off on the spider events and just have about a year of Spider-Man stories. That would be nice. That That worked even though it was Otto in the front seat that worked with Superior Spider-Man, just have Peter be Spider-Man for a while. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can see the moment in my notes where I got (laughs) shit-faced because I have, it's just not working, and then just clearly based on the rhythm, I was thinking of the Spider-Man theme from the the cartoon, and I've got, is he strong? Fuck you, Jack. He'll ejaculate (laughs) on your back. (laughs) Yeah, you were drunk. That's when I got drunk, and that's the last line in my notes. (laughs) Family Entertainment. Uh-huh. A quality produced show <laughs> with professionals at the wheel. Clearly. Clearly. Uh. You guys are losers. <laughs> it sounds like me. That's so fucking creepy. It does. <laughs> Did you get a check? No. <laughs> Damn it. We can get somebody professional to produce the show. 
Somebody can tap me to do the voiceover when this becomes a cartoon or something. <laughs> All right. Anything else on Columbia? Yeah, this is... And, and it's a bummer because as I look at these events as they've come along, Spider Island I got a kick out of. Yeah. Spider-Verse, I think, went on a little long, and I was never a fan of Morlin or any of those characters. But all right, it was kind of nice to see, like, Electric Company Spider-Man show up now and again. But it's, it's too many spiders, man. Too many fucking spiders. Too many spiders, too many universes, too many clones. Yes. Just, no, I, I agree. Let's just get back to basics. Yes. Let's have Spider-Man and Miles Morales, Spider-Man and... I'm good with Spider Woman. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll keep Spider Gwen around, but let's fucking move her the way we did Miles and Miles Morales, and then okay, four, four is good. I think four is fine. Four is fine. Anything beyond that, it's Streaky the Spider Cat, <laughs> <laughs> Beppo the Spider Monkey, which really works because there are spider monkeys. Oh, I have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the critter that shrieked at me at the Chicago Zoo? I- <laughs> could be. It could be. <laughs> that monkey was angry. <laughs> you made eye contact and, and then didn't, it tried to fling poo. Yeah, didn't didn't look afraid at the size of his wang that he was <laughs> fondling with abandon. It was shrieking. It was the most adorable shrieking. Of course. It was adorable. <laughs> uh, the poo flinging not so much. <laughs> I have no other response to to talking about the Chicago. <laughs> The, the great Chicago shit fling of 2014 <laughs> or 2015, whatever the fuck we went there. I think it was 2015. All right. Wonder Woman? Yes. Bionic Woman? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, my first note here, well, this is Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman number one, uh, written by Andy Mangels, uh, art by Judith Tundora. And my first note here is there are people who think I'm a little too nostalgic for the heroes and toys of my Gen X childhood. Uh, don't worry, this comic book should fucking cure that. Yeah. This this is a well-intended book. How, I'll give it that. However. <laughs> intentions are not execution. It made me realize that as much as I enjoyed both Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman as a child because it was a female hero doing things on TV, I'm pretty sure I would find both programs unwatchable at this point. Yeah, uh, I've not watched either one of the uh, original uh, since I was a kid. I know you can get them on DVD now the same way you can get The Six Million Dollar Man, Yeah, which I also avoid because I have fond memories of that show that I would like to keep. Exactly. So I've got fond memories of Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. Yes, I was six, seven, eight years old. That That's fine. I didn't know any better. Starting to learn better now, I think. <laughs> yes. So... This story sets up um, an excuse for Jamie Summers to meet Agent Diana Prince under the auspices of their two agencies working together because of a a threat to various people from terrorists. Right. Good old-fashioned 70s terrorists that yeah. want to steal nukes or something. I, th- I don't know what the fuck they're stealing. That's the problem with this. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on in it this was, comic book. This book was muddy. The... <laughs> The story was sort of there, but kind of hard to follow. The The art layout, yeah, I, I don't know what's happening in this book. <laughs> yeah, it's look, it, it starts out sort of in media res with an action scene, and it's a good old-fashioned comic book superhero. There's a building on fire, and a couple of superheroes, Wonder Woman and Bionic, Bionic Woman are here. 
just coincidentally in the neighborhood to rescue people and help put it out, which is fine, but it's generic comic book as hell. Uh, do you see it all over the place? I mean, Jesus, Spider-Man 1, I think Amazing Spider-Man 1. Yeah. And also, for whatever reason, this confused the shit out of me. And, and things like this sort of happen all through the book. It lifts a line of dialogue from the Superman movie, the first Superman it did. movie. yeah. <laughs> where Jamie grabs a survivor and jumps out a window, and the survivor says, who's got me? Who, you know, you've got me. Who's got you? Yeah, I thought that was an yeah, odd choice. Which is fine, but by name-checking a completely different property, it dragged me completely out of the scene, because I'm like, well, what? there's no Superman here. Why? <laughs> What the fuck are you getting at by yeah. quoting this here? It's a completely different fucking character. Is it because that movie came out in 1978? Is that, <laughs> what's the fucking connection? <laughs> fucking talk to me. And that's not the first mystery in this comic No, book. it's it's not. Because after that, yeah, it gets almost incomprehensible. I had to read it two or three times to even remotely figure out what was going on. There's There's a meeting where, yeah, some misogynist takes control of all the imaginary intelligence organizations from Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. And then, yeah, the the two main characters go off to protect some guy who's supposed to be the bad guy's next target for some reason that I don't think was explained at all. Just, no. we think he's the next target. Go to him. Okay. And, and <laughs> meanwhile, Steve Trevor goes off on some other mission, and I have no idea what this other mission is. Because in the meeting, he says he's taking a protective strike team on a defensive mission. And then he's in a helicopter following some fucking convoy. What are they transporting? I don't know. Who steals it? It's really not sure. And more importantly, why the fuck am I spending five pages of a 22-page book called Wonder Woman Meets the Bionic Woman with Steve fucking Trevor? Why the <laughs> fuck do I care about Steve Trevor? God knows you can't swing a dead cat at San Diego Comic-Con without hitting a Lyle Wagner fan. <laughs> It's they roll in packs, all cap teeth and fucking brill cream, just hunting for news on the continuing adventures of Lyle Wagner. They're all over the place. Oh, honey, I thought that part of the book was supposed to be for you because you're a white dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> they well, put it in there for you. Okay, maybe. Except I have the Google, so I know the <laughs> I know the continuing adventures of Lyle Wagner. Lyle Wagner's continuing adventures involve renting out trailers to a movie set. This is true. I know. I watched it's you watch the video. He's got a company, Star Wagons, with two G's, just like Lyle Wagner. And if you want to know about Lyle Wagner's continuing adventures, call his office eight one eight three six seven or email him at at starwagons.com. He does not actually appear in that video, though, as I recall. He doesn't, but there's a recent picture of Lyle on that website, and holy shit. <laughs> I, I think his capped teeth are sucking the bone marrow out of the rest of him. Jesus. And when they're finished with Lyle, I think they're coming for me. <laughs> I'm terrified. I don't want Steve Trevor. It means doom. Okay. It means failure. I think they're coming for Chris Pine next. A guy with his eyebrows. <laughs> <sighs> Teeth, <I'm> a- <laughs> eyebrows, fight. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. That's not the Mortal Kombat theme. <laughs> uh, I'm okay. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> uh, pop a vessel over there. My face is a little flushed. <laughs> I think I need a nice cool sip of Berkshire Brewing <laughs> Company Steel Red <laughs> Star yeah, Wagons with two G's. <laughs> two G's. <laughs> I'm sure they thought it was clever at the time. Well, it was 1978. There was there was cocaine involved. <laughs> Probably. All right. So, yeah, five pages of fucking grinning Steve Trevor. Yep. And, and yeah, 
just going back to how the story's kind of incomprehensible. All right, so Diana and Jamie, they stop this kidnapping or assassin or whatever the fuck is going on. They find out about the convoy attack, and they take Wonder Woman's invisible jet to the scene of that crime. I don't know how they did that since Diana and Jamie fucking drove to the kidnapping, but whatever, the invisible jet was somehow available. Meanwhile, all this is going on. We got some goons and some chick with metal legs or metal boots uh, attacking OSI or CIA or whatever the fuck it is. And they killed this old white guy that we seen in literally like three panels. And we only learned his name in like the last panel. Mm. And actually he didn't appear in that panel. <laughs> so you need to flip from the end of the book to the middle to figure out who is this guy. Okay. It's Joe this- Atkinson. All reports should be funneled here to IADC through Agent Welch. Unless you speak directly to Joe, Director Atkinson, you should report to Eve. Right. But he's he's the guy with the white hair and the brown suit. He's not even in that fucking panel. No, he's uh, he's up further the page. Right. So you got to figure out, okay, who's the dead guy in the brown suit and flip back. Oh, okay. I get who it is. But you know, th- that, that brown suit, I'm feeling the polyester coming right off the page. Oh, absolutely. I'm it's polyester and tooth caps and cocaine. This thing oozes the 70s. Like the, the tie matches and would look great if you were managing an Arby's. And <laughs> just, <laughs> just, uh, just misogyny He's and polyester. Dressed and, for success. And cocaine. Where's my whiskey funnel? That's all we need. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to the end of this, and it's this great reveal. This guy was tragically murdered. You know, the guy in the brown suit who doesn't do shit. What a fucking tragedy it is. <laughs> It's the problem I think is this book tries to do too much and it it doesn't do it well. Yeah. And it assumes that we know more about either Wonder Woman and or the Bionic Woman that we probably do. Yeah. Meanwhile there's this hooded bad person who I don't like cuz they kicked the robot puppy. Like I- <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a, like somebody kicked Well, that's what I say they assume we know more about Wonder Woman or the Bionic. Well, I don't remember a robot dog in either of those shows. I so don't either. As soon as I see the robot dog, I'm like, "Well, fuck it is Doctor Who going to be in this? Yeah. Tom Baker? <laughs> that's about the same time. Are we going to give him a cameo?" Seems like a cut-rate canine. Yeah. Yeah, and also that you're going to be intrigued enough about what's going on in this book that you're going to want to get issue two where they may resolve some of these questions, and I was not. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, I can't see myself continuing this. I mean, uh, trying to look on the bright side, there's a certain amount of cleverness in Jamie completely seeing through Wonder Woman's what her hair up and her glasses glasses (laughs) to be Diana Prince. Uh, except I think I saw the same shit in Green Arrow not too long ago, so even that's not particularly new. I've right. seen it in something recently. Uh, there's just there's so much going on. There's not enough space for Jamie and Diana to have any reason, at least shown in this, to be friends, except that, well, you're both on the fucking cover. <laughs> yeah, they're, You're in the same place at the same time with superpowers, so uh, all right, buddy up. Sisters doing it for themselves. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's yeah, it's just to fit everything into twenty-two pages, the storytelling's rush. It's really rushed. It's and it's poorly constructed. So, like, why am I suddenly seeing Steve Trevor in a helicopter? Seriously, fuck Steve Trevor. <laughs> you want to know what Steve Trevor's up to? Rent a fucking trailer. He'll probably tell you stories about being shot down by Linda Carter <laughs> while he's gassing you up. <laughs> Inflating your tires. Why is Steve <laughs> Trevor involved in this? This would be like picking up a $6 million man comic, and it's like, wow, eight pages of Rudy Wells making coffee. <laughs> Who's Rudy Wells? Why do I know who Rudy Wells is? So you had an interesting childhood. Uh, no, it was pretty boring. They yeah. put me in front of the television. <laughs> 
so that you could grow up and tell stories someday about how Lyle Wagner inflated your tires. Fuck Lyle Wagner! <laughs> oh my god, when I finally realized, oh my god, there's five pages of Lyle, five pages of Lyle Wagner <laughs> in 2016! Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> yeah. That guy was a jackass! Fuck Lyle Wagner! <laughs> So yeah, look, there's good intentions here. If you are a mega fan of Wonder Woman 77 and or I would say both because, yeah, I don't know where this robot dog came from and it probably would mean a lot to you if if you've watched every episode recently. Mm. But for right now, it's just, wow, you're a cock. You kicked a little robot dog. Uh, yeah, it's unless you're a super fan, this just isn't working for me. And I'm predisposed at least to be a fan of, I've talked about, Six Million Dollar Man and how big a part of my childhood it was, as was Bionic Woman. I watched that as part of sort of the overall, hey, great, it's the, you know, like the Marvel Tales and Amazing Spider-Man. They're both about bionic people. I, you know, but yeah, this is just not working. Too much yeah. is packed in and it's confusing and it, yeah, it's not working for me. If you're a super fan, give it a shot. If you're just idly, you know, oh, on a campy level, you can, you can do better than this. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm Lyle Wagonered out. Then why don't we move on to these other books? Okay. Which one do you want to do? I've got Batman next on deck. Okay. Batman number 12. Uh, this was my favorite of the week. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever read a Batman comic that seriously addressed whether a kid who had really just lost his parents and decided that the only way to cope would be to dress like the shadow and punch clowns in the face, probably would also have considered suicide. The, the title of this arc is I Am Suicide, and we learn where that comes from this. Mm. This, is a, this is a much darker book than the last couple that we've, we've talked about. So, I mean, it, ultimately, the, the plot in this is fairly simple. In the last issue, which I think we talked about, Yes. Uh, Catwoman betrayed Batman and has now made a deal with Bane. Uh, Batman is in the prison in Santa Prisco, which I swore that I would look up to see if that was the actual name. <laughs> it's near Zuadineo. Uh Shut up. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I could never pronounce that. You guys are losers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the entire plot of the book, and plot is very loose, is... Bane says, okay, I've got Psycho Pirate. You want him? I'm in the heart of the prison. Come get him. <laughs> Come so, at me, bro. Right. So what's happening in the book is Batman is fighting his way to the heart of the prison. But the everything that you're reading is a letter from Batman to Catwoman talking about Batman's own, not his origin, but some of his, his motivations. His motivations. And... Yeah, what it comes down to is he reached a point where he was on his knees with a razor blade praying to God, and there wasn't an answer from God, but he found an answer, which was his vow to, I will fight criminals in all their forms. And he acknowledges through the text of this entire book, that's a childish thing. That Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm a man who dresses like an animal and sits on a gargoyle and waits for crime to come, and then I punch it. <laughs> that's childish, but that's where it came from. It was a vow as a child, and I have to take it seriously because otherwise I'd be dead. He seriously considered suicide to the point where he was standing there with the razor blade. And cut himself. Yeah, and the when he looked for answers, the only answer that he could find would be, 
I'm sitting here realizing I'm alone, nobody's answering. And everybody in Gotham is alone and nobody's answering. So I will be the answer. You know, this is a, it's a quasi-religious response, which is weird. Hmm. But I mean, if you think about it, you know, anybody saying, uh, okay, I prayed to God and got an answer. So I'll join a priesthood, join a monastery. Uh, yep. What am I wearing? What collar? What, <laughs> what robes? Okay. That's what I have to do because this is what I said that I would do. This is my vow. So yeah, it's a really, I think Tom King, the writer threads the needle here. Oh, by the way, this is Batman 12, written by Tom King with art by Michael Jannon. I did say that it was Batman 12, but we didn't identify the writer or artist. Okay. But yeah, I, th- I think he threads the needle of making it clear. It's like, nobody answered me when I prayed, but I found my own answer. And that's how I, you know, that's why I'm still alive. This was the, okay, I, I give up. My life is now this. Well, and more importantly, also as part of this letter, he recognizes elements of himself in Selena, which is why he is drawn to her. And that's the one thing I had a problem with, because I will cop to my interpretation of this being semi-religious. Is, it's my interpretation, but it could be wrong, because it doesn't map to how he sees that they, they have something in common. Because if I'm even remotely right, and that's the one thing that lead me to believe I'm wrong, but it, I really feel strongly about it, mm. uh, is I don't think anybody stops... I can picture somebody stopping and surrendering themselves, saying, I will overcome this loss by putting myself into the service of stopping crime and giving people hope. I don't see how that maps to, I will devote myself to the service of stealing jewels in a cat theme whenever possible. (laughs) They don't map one-to-one, and I'll grant that. So my interpretation could be wrong, but it feels right to me. So it's. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on I suppose, what you think. And again, feel free to say, no, Rob, you're stupid. There's nothing even remotely quasi-religious here. It's this versus this. I haven't been following the Catwoman book, if there has been one, in Rebirth. I don't believe there has. Okay. So all we have to go on here is that Selena has made a statement that she's killed 237 people and that she did it out of vengeance from um, when she was in the orphanage, and these are all people that wronged her or or wronged people that she knew. Yes. And Batman is having difficulty believing that statement. As I think almost everybody is, that doesn't sound like Catwoman. It Cat doesn't Woman. sound like, yeah. And we, we've talked about that. That doesn't seem right. I mean, in previous iterations of, of Catwoman, like my favorite one was the Ed Brubaker one, where she really became more of an anti-hero, and she was looking out for her corner of Gotham. Yes. And and that Batman recognizing something in that particular iteration of Catwoman I would get because they're sort of doing the same thing. They're they're trying to keep their neck of the woods safe, try to keep the family that they've built for themselves safe. Yes. And they're doing it because somebody has to do it. Somebody has to step into that role. Right. I there are a lot of things I really enjoyed about this book. Um, Michael Jansen's art is fantastic. Holy shit. The, the problem with this is I Googled and Michael Jannon... Uh, what kind of parents would name their kid that? I also don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, works almost completely digitally, mm. which means you can't get these pages, and I, I would pay for some of these spreads. Some of the, the stuff that he does in here... And we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago at this point. It was episode 128. I looked mm. it up. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man, 
to get back to the theme, <laughs> Fall of Man number three, where Ron Solis did a bunch of pages where he drew what amounted to a static picture of a train with just a bunch of pictures of Steve Austin moving across it to demonstrate the movement, movement across the yeah. train. And this issue is nothing but double page spreads that basically use that method. There's there's one spread that's also interesting where he basically does a first person a first person view of what Batman is seeing as he's swimming uh, to try to get up onto the dock as people are shooting at him and knocking people out. But for the most part, we've got a bunch of spreads. Uh, there's one that's a, a giant crowd of Bane's goons, yeah, just all in this room. And we start with Batman at the back left, small, and then he's down into the right, a little larger, down to the just showing him fighting his way through through this room full of goons. Right. There's a great helicopter shot that even though Batman's small, I kind of like best of a helicopter shot of the prison with just Batman moving up the wall and across one roof and up a tower uh, to the very top just before he dives off <laughs> to face sharks eventually. Yeah. And I love this kind of art because it's something that's, this kind of storytelling is unique to comics because it, it plays with pacing in a way that you don't see a lot. Because a large spread is supposed to slow you down. You're supposed to stop and take a look at everything. But at the same time, you've got these multiple images. So the action is happening, but you can take it in at your own pace. And you can bring in all the detail and make it as fast or as slow as you want. So it, it allows dynamic action on a slow page that you can really take in kind of at your leisure. And it's really, it's sort of the thing that struck me, it's kind of the exact opposite of that Jason Bourne, Paul Greengrass, we'll do shaky cam, quick cut, you know, to make stuff look like it's happening really fast. It really, it pulls you into the story and pulls you into the action. I really, at this point, we've seen this a couple times recently, yeah. and I'd really like to see more of this kind of stuff because it's really a cool way of telling a story. Now, with that said, it works in this context of, yes, the action is important, but what you're reading is taking place outside of it, so mm. the pacing you want to sort of be able to map it yourself as you're reading it. It's not necessarily going to work for everything, but for things it worked for, and I think it worked just, I think it worked more strongly here than it did even in Fall of Man number three. I really liked it a lot. It was really cool. Yeah, so that being said, I I don't think I reacted quite the same way you did to the the format of the writing insofar as this confessional letter that plays out over the course of the book. Well, I, I will grant you Batman is too smart to put anything in writing that could be waved in his face in a court so, of law. First of all, there's that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but as a, I, I took it as internal monologue. <laughs> I found it a little emo, frankly. Okay. And I don't need Hot Topic Batman. I, <laughs> hot Topic Batman, <laughs> write it down. But this whole confession to Selena, you know, why, why are we alike? Why are we drawn to each other? felt like something that a high school kid who takes himself way too seriously would write to his emo girlfriend, you know, when they're not, you know, hanging out together, cutting to feel. It just... <laughs> Which I can understand, but also he he cops... The entire thing is copping to, I'm in a state of arrested development. This yeah. is... Everything I do is about what that kid needed. Right, but it's also, you know, it even gets into, you know, you know, that's why when we have sex, the pain goes away for a minute. It's like, ugh, really? Yeah, you are like emotionally seventeen. Like, 
Look, a guy who dresses like Dracula and hangs out on gargoyles is as goth as it gets, if you stop and think about it. Isn't there a difference between emos and goths? I think South Park covered this. uh, Yes, uh, there is a difference. It's about five years, from 1998 (laughs) to 2004. But, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I I get it. I'm not sure that it needed to be articulated. I I think if you... if you are a fan of Batman, you understand that this kind of inner dialogue is going on with him all of the time. Does it need to be front and center as as an actual story? Yeah, but I don't think I've seen any story where it stopped and said, yes, somebody who is dealing with this kind of emotional trauma, particularly somebody who's an adolescent and who doesn't understand because they don't have the life experience or the wisdom that things change, what happens to you when you're... 10 or 12 or 15 or even 20 or 25 is not what your life is going to be. Things will change. People like that have an instinct toward considering suicide as an option. I think my issue, though, is because it's this heavy first-person narrative, he's telling us all of these things. And if there's any drum that we've beat on this show and in our, our reviews is show, don't tell. You're telling me all of this stuff about you. I would rather you find a way in the story to show this. Which I can understand, but the only way you're going to get that is with a flashback. and with- Possibly, or, or rework your arc. It's Batman Rebirth. We're 12 issues in. If you really wanted to convey this about the character, you have ample opportunity. <laughs> You've renumbered the book. <laughs> you do have a point. Uh, the, you're not wrong. How you get people to... uh, Look, I've already tuned out of Gotham, the TV series, because adolescent Batman is not exciting. (laughs) Uh, It's it's just the truth. Yeah. (laughs) So to say, okay, I'm going to do a six-issue flashback to show Bruce Wayne locked in the bathroom with a razor blade in his hand, I'm not sure... I'm I'm not the biggest Batman fan in the world, but, you know... Batman's one of my favorite characters. I'm not sure you can get me to buy that. I can't watch it on television. No, but I think I think you convey as much as you need to know in issue one of Rebirth when Batman asks um, Alfred just before he thinks he's going to die trying to save that plane, Right? is this a good death? Yeah, but even, even that's loaded because the phrase a good death from Batman ties back to Frank Miller by a- nature. Absolutely. But I again, you're showing me something about the character, and you're being clever in referencing historical Batman stuff. Yeah, I'm just I'm not sure how you tie it in with a with a show because with the tell mm-hmm. and and we got the tell in the first issue, it tied it to Frank Miller, and Frank Miller's Dark Knight concept of a good death is very different from what we're addressing with Tom King where clearly based on this issue, a good death is I go down doing everything that I possibly could to defend the people of Gotham and to give them hope. Not just to go out like a champion driving my race car in the first issue of The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, but what this confessional letter left me with is we've got a, a Batman who at one point in his life made what was either an actual suicide attempt or at the very least a cry for help 
Um, presumably Alfred was nowhere to be found. One would wonder what his reaction would be to um, Bruce Wayne cutting on himself. See, to, <laughs> not to interrupt, but to me, my reaction would be, okay, you're not going to do this again? Fine, I will help you fight crime, Master Bruce. Yes. So, but going forward, since he's already sort of, his statements are to the effect of, because I, I made the suicide attempt, basically I was dead inside. So going forward, all of my actions are about stopping crime because I've made this vow because it, if I die fighting this fight, then it's okay because I'm already dead. Like, and, and that feels very nihilistic. And again, it's, it's, it's this confessional letter where he's just telling me these things. It's, it's like holding Caulfield. (laughs) See, I, I don't agree that the point is nihilistic and the point is I am already dead. What I took. And, and again, I'm, I'm willing to cop that my interpretation is not, correct because i don't think it maps to selena the way uh bruce says it does in this so maybe i'm being too hopeful to put a brave face on what is a very dark book Mm. but i saw it as i'm already dead because i've sacrificed what my life was going to be to follow this calling now i prayed and i gave myself an answer and therefore this is my life now whatever i was that's dead that died here now I'm doing this other thing, and I will sacrifice. I won't have a conventional family. I won't be married. I won't, you know, I'll spend my millions on Batmobiles and Batarangs instead of pussy and champagne. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I took it as he sees himself as already dead, and the nihilism that he sees in himself, he also sees in Selena, which is why he's drawn to her. And and that's why it's probably fantastic sex, but just a really shitty relationship, as demonstrated by the fact she sells him out to Bane. So, oh, I dated her. Make no mistake. <laughs> I understand. I'm sure it's spectacular. But, and maybe I'm trying to put too brave a face on this. Maybe it is a darker, more nihilistic story than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, to me, I thought it was it was very powerful in the sense that, and yes, certainly. Tell, don't show is never going to be the best way to do it. I'm not sure exactly how you show this. It might take an adult interpretation of this is what I did and why I did it when I was 10 to be able to explain it. But it's I took it very much as, you know, I <laughs> at my lowest, I needed some kind of higher power. And whether it's a drunk saying my higher power is World Wrestling Federation <laughs> or, or whatever, but it was... This is what I found. It's we are all alone and I will do my best to be the answer for everybody else who feels alone and powerless. I see it as positive in the sense that this poor son of a bitch has surrendered everything for this calling. And again, I see it as positive and I grant you it's, it doesn't map perfectly. I'm missing something or I'm choosing to say, no, this is Batman. And Batman was my superhero that helped me get through high school. And I, I refuse to believe it's that dark. I'll, I'll cop to it. But <laughs> see, I, I see a worrying level of dark and I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, should he be in therapy? <laughs> well, it's, look, I, I will give, uh, Tom King and Dan DiDio and DC Editorial a great deal of credit for at least having the balls to consider having a story where the concept of Batman, who earned almost a billion dollars as part of an admittedly mediocre movie last year, <laughs> taking that intellectual property and associating it with the concept of suicide. 
Now, with that said, Suicide Squad made almost three quarters of a billion dollars. Maybe it's less uh, a literary decision and more just horrible, cynical corporate synergy. Mm. Oh, yeah, put Suicide with Batman. Fuck it. Next time he'll make 1.5 billion. I don't know. But yeah, it's a, I didn't. There is a darkness there, uh, and maybe I'm choosing to find the hope in the story that is not meant to be there. I mean, I, I think I'm reacting also just to this whole how much he's imprinting on on Selena in seeing what he thinks he sees in her, because again, it just speaks to this whole just unhealthy relationship. And he he's writing this because he's heard through his sources that um, at Blackgate she's become. Um, just not able to be contained and needs to be transferred to Arkham. Uh, presumably there's a mental health component because her behavior is becoming more violent and problematic, which says to me, all right, so you're, you are literally talking about your crazy girlfriend. Like this is <laughs> yeah, that you're going to heal with your dick. Like, just <laughs> For $10, all you can eat testicle fest. That's as close it's, as It's going to be okay, Selena. I've got the bat dick. <laughs> and and she's not healthy and the best thing you can do to let her get healthy is to go to Arkham problematic as it is because you know we we know that Arkham doesn't have the most qualified staff and people break out all the time <laughs> yes but you're Bruce Wayne so you've got all the money there's got to be a qualified mental health facility you could put her in <laughs> uh, you would think Arkham can't possibly be the best <laughs> uh, you don't put nobody's ever been cured no in Arkham. <laughs> No. So, okay, be concerned, but don't break her out. Put her somewhere else. You've got the money. <laughs> yeah, it's, look, my, like I said, I could be putting far too hopeful an interpretation on this. I absolutely could be. But as, it's all, as you become problematic, violent, someday, soon, I'm going to set you free because I have to. Like, no, you don't. No, there, there, are, there are healthy girls out there, Batman. They're They're nice. They they don't break into places. They don't sell you out to Bane. <laughs> yeah, but he's <laughs> he's a goth adolescent in his own head. You know, it's who's he gonna bone? Poison Ivy? No, she's playing for the other team. Sometimes Jezebel Jet. She betrayed him and ruined the end of. Uh, well, there was a lot to ruin in what's, Grant Morrison's run. What's Vicky Vale up to these days? Uh, I don't know, about three quarters of scotch a day. Where's my whiskey funnel? I don't know what she's doing. But... There's going to be somebody. Yeah. It's, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer as to how the, the relationship between Batman and Catwoman fits together. Uh, to me, it's this weird vestigial tale from the New 52 that, uh, all right, well, we did it, so we need to keep pretending like it matters. And I don't think we have to. Uh, there may well, there probably is, for the fifth time, my interpretation doesn't map with what Batman is saying he thinks about himself and Catwoman. Yes. So maybe I'm just being blindly hopeful that, that no, it, it means this other more hopeful message than it means, no, I'm just a shattered re reject who's looking for some place to stick it that'll wriggle. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the first time he came home, having gone off comms, having boned on a roof somewhere did did alfred say because he you know his his butler sense was tingling you know master bruce don't stick your dick in crazy like, was there a <laughs> very good master bruce perhaps you'd like me to wash your uniform while you scrub your junk with janitor in a drum <laughs> that girl gets around master bruce is what i'm saying 
I don't know. That's all new 52 shit. I don't know. And now he's know. trying to justify it to himself. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe. It's, uh, he, he cops to being basically a, a somewhat uh, adolescent I, and arrested development. Absolutely. It's, and I, I think th- it was an interesting read. I loved the art. I'm not sure that it needed to be told in the form of a confessional letter. I, I just I would have preferred that they find some way, and it's not the most efficient way to get all of that emotion out, but it's a more satisfying story when you can show these things. And th- that's a valid interpretation. I think it's one of the best single issues of any comic I've read this year. It just it was I found it extremely powerful, and part of it was I was able to find something hopeful in that. Yes tell don't show darkness of uh, well no it's a it's an incredible almost monastic sacrifice that you're making where yeah you sacrificed yourself to something greater than you when you were at your lowest and it gave us fucking batman and batman's fucking awesome yeah whereas i i took it as you think that you are the walking dead and you are trying to suicide by crime well and like i said uh that's not necessarily invalid because, yeah, maybe I'm being too hopeful. I could be dead wrong, but I I liked it a lot. It, I think it's an, one of the absolute best single issues of a comic I've read in a long time. Okay. That's allowed. You're, you're allowed. Well, <laughs> we're not going to agree on everything. No. That, would, that would be boring radio. It would be. So. Would be. You guys are losers. Hey, <laughs> shut up, lady. I don't know who that character is. I <laughs> Please, God, let her be named Amanda. Please, God, <laughs> let her be named Amanda. <laughs> I wish I looked that good in high school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So want to move on to uh, the last one, which uh, I also really liked. Um, clearly, it was your favorite of the week, yes, which is Yes, this is this. I love this fucking book. <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, Star Wars, Dr. Afra number one, written yes. by Kieran Gillen, art by Kev Walker and Salvador LaRocca. Yep. Uh I'll sort of let you take point, but I'll say, if nothing else, this comic has taught me that Indiana Jones is nothing but a criminally thieving dick. (laughs) That is pretty much what archaeology has often been. (laughs) But yes, uh, you you take point on this. What what, what do you want to start with? I want to start with how fucking awesome this book is. I want to go to a convention and be like, Mr. Gillen, you're really awesome. (laughs) How do you get to be so awesome? He's going to be at Boston Comic Con this year. (laughs) That's right. Because, yeah, Uber Invasion number one, which I thought about talking about, but we haven't talked about that book a lot. It's not about a fleet of cars that you can summon with your nap that Uh, just take over your city. No, it's about superhumans blowing up the city of Boston. Uh, Oh. You know, where where the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office lives. Right. So I I enjoyed that book, but he does extensive endnotes at the end of it, and... uh, yeah, it's a. They have not announced any official guests for Boston Comic Con 2017 yet. But at the end, uh, Gillen says, "You know, yeah, I blew up the city of Boston and realized <laughs> I had already said yes to a convention in that city in 2017. So yeah, he'll be here. So you can uh, let's put that aside so you can get it uh, signed. Yay! All right. Anyway, so didn't mean so to interrupt. This Hit it. this book takes place after the events uh, of Doctor Afra in the Darth Vader series of Star Wars. Marvel books. Yeah, so we're still in between uh, Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, and uh, she faked her own death at Vader's hands. The Empire is sort of on the lookout for her-ish. She's on this backwater planet, and she needs to find something so that she can sell it and get some money because she owes money to a variety of people, including the person from whom she's purchased her 
spaceship and in a twist because they do everything it feels like everything with this character is what can we do from some character that harrison ford has played and turn it on its head kind of yeah so whereas han and Chewie have this Chewie's with him because he he owes him sort of a life debt because he saved him yep uh afra owes and i can never pronounce this wookie's name kersentan <laughs> What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> money. <laughs> yes, <laughs> money. Give give monies to Black because he keeps he keeps uh, helping her out when she's in jams, such as you know, they're coming to impound her spaceship. <laughs> yes. So it opens with again, uh, you've got somebody you presume it's her on an archaeological dig looking for a very valuable thing of some sort. Um, they the person gets the thing free and then like in Raiders of the Lost Ark a big rolling thing oh yeah comes after comes after it's purely from the it, team yeah, so, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark so it was nice to see that kind of continue but then in the twist it turns out that it's not Dr. Afra it's some other space archaeologist and uh, much like when Belloc comes and takes things away from uh, Harrison Ford she does the same thing she kills him it's like <laughs> oh yeah she She's purely Belloc in this situation, yeah. <laughs> except Belloc didn't have the courage to pull the trigger himself ever. Right. So, right. She at least so has her own dirty than, work. Worse than Belloc. Yes. Ugh. Which makes me wonder, you know, if you if you were to get into a drinking contest with her. <laughs> Let's start it! Let's start it. It's like you set me up for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would she come out better than Belloc? I, I would imagine she would, because the back matter of this actually gets into her days in grad school, but... Um, yeah, there's there's two stories in this book, one current one and one prequel, basically. Yeah. So the the whole thing hinges on she needs to be able to move this artifact, and only certified archaeologists are allowed to market their finds. Otherwise, um, it's illegal. And she ha- goes to sell it and finds out that she is no longer considered a doctor because she cheated in grad school and we don't find out until later what that what that looks like. See, I don't I didn't take that. I I uh, all right, go ahead. <clears throat> and and she was uh, it was discovered by her own father it seems in the in the final scenes of the story who is some sort of religious individual who wants to look to her spiritual salvation. And she's unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, there's a ton of Raiders of the Lost Ark oh, in yeah. this. It's a Gill and I I think is making a decent point about Indiana Jones, at least the Indiana Jones from Temple of Doom, which yeah. is before the other two, and when he was all, you know, fortune and glory, and not this belongs in a museum. You know, yeah, somebody who breaks into historical sites in other civilizations to take artifacts and sell them is not necessarily a scientist. No, they're a thief, and, and they are morally questionable yeah and, and, and a cool hat or even a stupid one in dr Afra's case <laughs> doesn't really make it all that better uh, even though it's cool to watch yes and then uh, yeah <laughs> having her be stymied by her father who disapproves of her life choices, <laughs> her life choices that's last crusade written all over it yeah absolutely so and, and the dude's bald he's he's got a, a slightly connery-esque thing going on uh, slightly little. if you if you if you squint yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't call him Connery-esque, but you can't escape the parallel, I don't think. Yeah. Um, other things that were quite joyous about this book, uh, the murder bots 
run rampantly? <laughs> uh, yes, I finally looked up. Uh, the other one is called Triple uh, Zero. I looked it up on the internet. Triple Zero, yeah. I, th- I think last week we were talking about it. We thought it was uh, C3PZ or something. No, I, th- I, I think I called him Triple Zero. No, you're probably. Well, in that case, you were right, and I was dead wrong because I couldn't think of the name. Uh, and then BT1. BT1. Uh, yeah, that's the one I couldn't remember. So we've got, um, they actually go out of their own accord and track down the guy who Afro owes money for the spaceship and kill him. <laughs> because yeah. they, they um, the, the protocol droid who is the assassin, it finds his statements towards who the woman he calls Mastra, Master Afra, um, which he doesn't have to call anybody anything. He's a murder bot. Right. <laughs> Indeed. Um, threatening because he is enjoying the adventures he's having with her. And if he comes back and breaks Afra's legs and takes the ship, then they won't have fun anymore. So, Yeah, it's that was the most interesting part of both stories to me was the sudden and purely self-serving, but still loyalty that Triple Zero showed to Afra. Now, if Afra's father does get in the way and she does start examining her spiritual side so that Triple Zero, I, I firmly got the sense, is like, no, I, I enjoy my current situation because she lets me kill indiscriminately as long as it's to her benefit. Yeah. If that changes because she finds Space Jeebus or the Force or whatever, uh, that could be an interesting uh, turn of loyalty. Well, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see where this goes. Part of... What's interesting about this character is that she's just so unabashedly not a good person and and no, no no interest in being a good person and this seems to have gone back quite a ways to to grad school that's the this is a double size issue i believe and double size enough for marvel to have charged 5 bucks for it yeah the the backup story is her in grad school with the shittiest advisor of all time who flat out tells her that he's never going to approve her for her doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was not as psyched about the, the secondary story. It, it was still, it was satisfying because yeah, that guy was a dick. So watching a, watching a dick get his is always sort of exciting, but uh, you know, all it really showed us was, yeah, all right. She's always been a ruthless troublemaker. Uh, right. It's fine, but it's not surprising. Well, but where I'm going with that is, so if, if she's been this much of a morally ambiguous hot mess for her whole life, do I really want to see her going down a path where she has to examine her choices and, and come out, you know, even if it's still as an antihero, a better person somehow at the end? I don't want that from John Constantine. Why would I want that from this character? Yeah, there's a couple ways this can go, and I was thinking about it, and I'm, I'm not sure which one would be more satisfying because this, this is Star Wars, and I think for good or ill, this is really the first true antihero in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And I'll cop to the fact the only expanded universe stories I've read are the Heir to the Empire novels. I read Dark Horse's uh, Dark Empire, but that's it. I haven't watched the Clone Wars cartoons or the Rebel cartoons or the Ewok Adventures TV movies back in the 80s. For all I know, those had Wicket W. Warwick and his burgeoning death stick empire. <laughs> and I am the one who yub yubs. Oh, I don't Jesus. fucking know. I am but, the one who yubs. <laughs> there you go. But... Um, but without having that, this is the first true anti-hero from Star, Star Wars that, that I've seen. 
it gets tricky because right now she doesn't have any redeeming characteristics. You know, Star Wars is a, a fairy tale for good or ill. It's about yeah. good guys and bad guys. And right now she's a bad guy. She's a backstabber. She has no loyalty to anybody. Her friends are literally murderers with no conscience. Like no conscience was programmed in. <laughs> it is an absence. There is none more conscience. <laughs> now, None, none more conscious. None, none more. Of course, we'll double negative that to really <laughs> confuse everybody. But if you look at her, the, the obvious parallel is Han Solo. And yes, to start with, he was a rogue who would shoot you under the table if he was in trouble. But by the fourth reel of Star Wars, he was coming back to rescue Luke. You know, we've spent a few years with Dr. Aphra now. She's arguably worse than when we met her. Yeah. So the question becomes, how does a character like this fit into the Star Wars universe? Now, in Gillen's Darth Vader series, you know, as a foil or tool or victim of Darth Vader, she served a significant purpose in that she was bad, but Vader was worse. Right. So we could see this amoral character going around, doing stuff for him, trying to save her own skin. But no matter how bad she was, Vader was worse. Yeah. So as a contrast, it worked for Darth Vader. Now, on her own, there's a couple ways we can go with this. We could get the Breaking Bad of Star Wars. God, I want the Breaking Bad of Star Wars. I want it. An amoral criminal (laughs) who just operates on the fringes while this epic space opera of good and evil is going on around her. Yeah. And the thrill could come from, yeah, watching herself dig herself out of terrible situations with constantly worse and more formidable antagonists. That was... That was the grain alcohol that Breaking Bad ran on for every single season. Yeah. The bad guys he kept fucking up with got worse and worse and worse. And how's he going to get out of it? We could have something similar with this. And that's fine. That can fit into Star Wars as its own kind of thing. Or do we get Star Wars as this is writ longer? Does she develop a conscience and pick a side? I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly don't know which one I'd rather see. But either way, they both seem pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, part of part of why I think I, I don't want that is I really enjoy the murder bots. So, <laughs> and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a legit crime story in a fairy tale universe. It's not a thing you see very often that I can think of. Right. Yeah. Certainly, there's no Lord of the Rings expanded universe, or but yeah, somebody who's really just working angles on the fringes. Yeah. No, who is not part of the greater story has no interest in being part of the greater story. Yeah, this is not a thief with a heart of gold. You know, with, yeah. with some you know just misunderstood thing about her that you know if somebody could just see, then they'd understand. No, she she is out for herself, and you know whoever gets in her way, woe unto them. Yeah, which is fine. We could have this just be a flat out crime comic in the Star Wars universe where she's never. That she's had her contact with the heroes and villains, and she faked her death and got away, and now she just operates, and that could be great fun. Yeah, and it's, also, how cool is that? Like, how much of a badass must you be if you could fake your own death at the hands of Vader? <laughs> yeah, she tricked Darth Vader. Vader takes out like whole continents. <laughs> I mean, that makes Gus Fring look like some <laughs> some wuss wandering around his chicken restaurant. No, you you. <laughs> Didn't need, uh, what's it, Tito's Salta La Manca or anything <laughs> like that. Ringing his bell. 
<laughs> now, I'm, now I'm picturing the emperor is <laughs> Tito Saltalamanca in his throne. Ding, 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 oh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's awesome. It's now I want fan art of that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. But who, who would draw that? Who, <laughs> we could get somebody. But <laughs> it's a weird entry into Star Wars, and it could be cool no matter which direction they they go in. Plus, also the the backhanded examination of Indiana Jones. It's you're getting like two or three things for your dollar here. Absolutely. It's uh, this was a. I hesitate to call it fun because it's full of murder and mayhem, and you know the the character is only likable in that she does things that, yeah, I'd like to screw over people who fucked me over. Yeah, and she, she's she's good with a quip. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, what's she doing? Uh, she walks away from that in the, the grad school story with, oh yeah, her buddy's like, I'm going to spend my professional life trying to figure out the scam that you, it, it, it's not, not figure out the scam, but you did the scam. I want to figure out how that was possible. It's like, yeah, okay, good luck, and walks away, yeah. basically allowing her friend in air quotes, to waste her life just so that she could get back at a professor and get her uh, her doctorate. Right. This is not a good person. It's not a good person. It's, this is Walter White. This is Indiana Jones, thief of <laughs> artifacts. Yeah. And, and she has been very enjoyable to watch so far, and long may this continue. Yes. All right, so I think we're both on the same page. This is, a, uh, this is one of the buys of the week. Yes, it is. So Even at $5. Yeah, God... <laughs> Look, I give Gillen credit for creating this character in the year moving into The Force Awakens Yeah, that has become, at least for comics fans, such a big... <laughs> and Rogue One, which where we're going to have an, an original female Star Wars character who's some sort of an anti-hero who does oh, things for the, the Rebels. Yeah, but Dr. Aphra in particular, <laughs> the, problem, the problem could be, this is pure speculation... With the popularity of the character, I could see pressure coming from Disney being like, yeah, we, we, we want to do a Dr. Aphra movie. You need to lighten her up. You need to clean her up. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Be strong, Gillen. <laughs> you, you don't need this shit. You got the Wicked <laughs> and the Divine. You got Uber. You don't need this shit. <laughs> Pick up your ball and go home. <laughs> but anyway, we'll see. He did such a, a masterful job with um, young Loki in terms of... Uh, Playing out the the various facets of that character. Oh I'm, God! In a journey into mystery. Yeah. yeah. So, I do like her as she is right now, where she's just bad news. But there there can still be levels and depths and shades to bad news. So how that plays out over time, that's what I want to see. Yeah, it's it could go in a couple of ways. Yeah, the the Star Wars universe almost demands picking a side. Yes. But that's only because of long tradition and space opera and deciding that deciding that you have to. It's it's like any other universe real or invented by a writer. No, somewhere there's a scumbag making money. Right. And there's right. nothing wrong with telling that story. Yeah, the the huts, for example, um are not self-identified as part of the dark side. They're just assholes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> They also don't have their name above the title. Right. <laughs> um, no, nobody is screaming for a Hut miniseries. <laughs> Joby, you're, that's one thing about this particular issue. Jabba's snail trail. No, it's, uh, 
the 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 guy that a triple zero kills getting up from the bar going, oh, yeah. Well, I gotta go feed the Sarlacc. <laughs> Star Wars shit jokes. That's another first I don't think I've seen before. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, this is definitely my buy of the week. Is this, would you say that Batman is your buy of the week? Uh, absolutely. Okay. It's a, Dr. Afro was a great book and I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. I, I feel a little weird about, you know, yes, I, I'm following a completely amoral character in the Star Wars universe. That feels a little weird, but uh, that said, I miss Breaking Bad. I wouldn't necessarily turn down a space Breaking Bad. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I took a lot more from Batman Twelve than you did, and that's that's my big one of the week. Okay, we got anything else? I think that's that's what we got. All right, then why don't we wrap it up? All right, all right. So I don't know where you may have found this particular episode, uh, but you can always find us at our home website, which is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. I, I got to start getting back on Facebook. You should. It's uh, the things of. <laughs> there are nice people there, not just your ex girlfriends. Oh, uh, yeah, don't, for Christ's sake, don't tell them, don't tell them our <laughs> Facebook address. I keep telling them I'm not on Facebook. Okay. No mas, no mas. <laughs> you guys are losers. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but yes, we're on Facebook. And uh, yeah, even if I'm not as active on there as uh, I should be, but I'll make an effort this week. Uh, you can always send us a message there, facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. Mm-hmm. We are on Tumblr, uh, not so you'd notice. <laughs> crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. I got an email. Somebody followed us on Tumblr this week. Okay. Or, or liked something. Or I don't, I don't know how Tumblr works. Uh, I will uh, try to teach you after I figure it out myself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you kids with your Tumblrs. <laughs> your, your Tumblrs. And your and Hot your And your Van Heflin. <laughs> <laughs> and your emo letters to Catwoman. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we are also on iTunes. If that's how you like to get your podcast, you can certainly subscribe to us there. Also, do us a favor, uh, give us a rating, uh, give us a review. It helps new people find the show. Mm-hmm. We are on uh, the Google Play Network. We are. We're on Stitcher. Uh, we are, uh, where the hell else are we? I think that... that there, there's a TuneIn Radio. Yes. Uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Yep. And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Maybe you should just make a list and just keep it by the computer. I like to live dangerously, baby. Okay. We'll get you a murder (laughs) bot. (laughs) Please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that's it. This has been episode 136 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening. And derp. There's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. (laughs) I hit the wrong button. You guys are losers. That seems more accurate.